This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here on a Friday, Chris Brown, Maddie Clab with you. One Bills Live is the show, and we know what Friday brings, the OBL Fan Friday mailbag. We'll get into that in just a second, where any of your questions on the Bills or the league at large is fair game, either on the phone lines or on the tweet sheet. We'll take any and all comers there. But uh, I don't know. I'm tired of winter. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm done. I know February. I know we're not even out of February yet. But my gosh, the gray days have got to stop. Maddie. Yeah. I don't get seasonal depression, but if we have too many more of these, I might be there pretty soon. <laughs> well, I can't we'll do it. We'll walk you through how to cope, Chris Brown. No, it's a weird part of the off season. A weird part of the Buffalo winter season that feels like uh, we got still a couple months, hopefully not knock on wood. Um, but you're in between the Super Bowl and the NFL scouting combine here coming up in the next few weeks. People are mocking you running backs left and right. It's snowing yeah, that's outside. Not to my... You're done with winter, but winter is continuing. Yeah. Mm. Give me a vacation. People keep mocking running backs to the Bills. It's going to only worsen my seasonal depression i don't <laughs> don't really need that right now and i don't think the bills need it either just get a third running back to sit behind cook and hines if you're not bringing singletary back and and get it wherever in the nfl get draft it up, get, yeah get it later or even in undrafted free agency there's so many free agents that are going to be then, available for running backs this year too and yeah and just get it's not a big market and receivers and do it that way um, we'll get all into into that in due course here because at the bottom of the hour, we are going to tease the latest iteration of our NFL mock draft watch that Maddie puts together for buffalobills.com periodically through the run-up to the draft. And uh, we're giving you a sneak peek at the next edition, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming out next week. Yep. So uh, we'll be doing that at the bottom of the hour. Look forward to that to see what the so-called draft Knicks are thinking about for the Bills. I can promise you, much like me, you will not be happy with all of their selections. <laughs> and we'll, we'll dice each and every one of those up. Uh, and we'll get to that, like I said, about 25 minutes or so. We'll uh, jump into that a little bit. We also have some, uh, some pretty cool Bills news, Maddie. I thought this was neat. Uh, head coach Sean McDermott is mm-hmm. going to be inducted into the William & Mary Athletics Hall of Fame. He played safety there. He was a walk-on. Crazy. Made the roster, was a starter by the time he was like a junior and a senior mm-hmm. at the safety position. And um, just kind of a cool deal that uh, he's going to be inducted into their Athletics Hall of Fame. So congrats to Coach. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm excited to – we're definitely going to do an in-depth piece on him, and I think we're going to ask some head coaches around the NFL and some analysts about Sean McDermott when we head to the NFL scouting combine. So it's always cool to hear what other people around the league have to say about people on your staff. And, you know, Andy Reid, you ask Andy Reid, you ask Frank Reich, and and they've always got some pretty cool compliments to say about Sean McDermott and what he's done with his time here in Buffalo. And you just got to respect him even more knowing that he was a walk-on in college. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of respect for that. Um, And there's a lot of – Bill's ties to William and Mary. Marv Levy was there as a coach, I believe, early in his career. Uh, Mark Kelso is another safety who comes out of William and Mary. And McDermott's teammate there was Pittsburgh head coach Mike Tomlin. They were teammates for two years at William and Mary. So 
There's plenty of history down there for being such a small school. I think they play in the Colonial Athletic Association Conference. I'm not sure. I think that's right. Um, just a cool honor for Coach, so very happy for him. Uh, so it was good to see that. Some other cool things that happened. Good Morning Football was dicing up their top ten plays of the season and number one was Naheem Hines' kick return for a touchdown against the Patriots, which was the first play of the game. And this was on the heels of the DeMar Hamlin situation just six days earlier in Cincinnati. Um, and I know for all of us that were there, the emotion of that entire day, let alone that first play, was just chicken skin goosebumps, whatever you want to call it. It was just like, is this really mm -hmm. happening? Like, none of us could believe it. It deserves to be number one, definitely. I think we all felt like we were watching a movie be played out when <laughs> Naeem Hines returned that kick uh, for a touchdown. And he didn't just do it once, he did it twice. Yeah. Uh, it was the perfect play to start that game. I said it a bunch of times, but a collective exhale in that stadium. A lot of emotions going on as Naeem Hines ran it for the tutty. Yeah, and I was initially watching their countdown list angry. <laughs> because Justin Jefferson was on that list with that of ridiculous 4th and 18 catch that he mm -hmm. made when Cam Lewis unintentionally helped him catch the ball rather than raking it out. He was unable to do so. And I was like, son of a gun. Like, if that catch wasn't made in that game, Stephon Diggs' catch in that game is all over the place. Mm -hmm. But that one totally overshadowed Stephon's catch. So – here I am all ornery, like, because I'm still sore <laughs> Why about that game. Why am I getting mad about this again? Yeah, I'm still sore about that game. But then Good Morning Football made up for it. They had <laughs> Naheem number one, which I thought was very appropriate. So that was kind of cool to mm -hmm. see on Good Morning Football this morning. Um, and then other stuff, it's more around the NFL than anything else. So we might as well do that, which, as you know, is presented by Collider Health the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And interesting news out of Green Bay, Maddie. Aaron Jones, who has a fat contract, reworked his deal. So he'll get paid $11 million this year. So some restructuring at hand mm -hmm. there. Put some money in his pocket to create some cap space for the Packers. I will admit I have not looked at what their cap situation looks like. I suppose I could look it up here while we're live on the air. But um, – I think Aaron Jones, I think he genuinely, just everything I've heard him say in the past, he loves playing in Green Bay. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he's taking those steps to make sure he stays there and doesn't become a cap casualty. So they move some money around uh, to make that happen. Yeah, I think he just makes sense in their offense. And they've got some weapons. They've got some talent there. Um, so I was going to try and look at what they're – cap number was too um but he i feel like a name like that just makes sense in green bay so we'll see if the other guy who some people see think makes sense there is going to stay there after he comes out of his uh yeah. darkness retreat here <laughs> which is is that today is it has it been four days already i don't know i wasn't counting to be <laughs> quite honest with you there's nothing else going on i'm, I'm interested i'm intrigued yeah i He's out there. I think we all know that. Green Bay is $5 million under the cap. Okay. So with the restructure of Aaron Jones, you would logic would say they've 
made that number better, probably depending on how much was moved around. It's probably somewhere between 8 and 10 now in terms of the room they've created, and they'll probably have to take more steps, much like a lot of other teams. So are they 5 million under or over? Maybe I read that backwards. They were 5 million over. Sorry. 5 million over. So that'll help them get back to even at least, you would think. And that'll continue. More than half the league has some work to do to yeah. get under the cap. Yeah. So it is not going to be an uncommon thing to see a lot of teams restructuring existing contracts, maybe releasing players outright, as we saw with the Raiders, with Derek Carr uh, this past week. And speaking of Derek Carr, there is a report by NFL Network's Mike Garofolo that the Jets are bringing in Derek Carr for a visit this weekend, according to sources. <laughs> It'll be the second meeting with a team for Carr, as we remember, when he was still a member of the Raiders. He was given permission to go visit with the Saints. Nothing came of that, and then he was released this week. So we had Judy Batista on yesterday, and I know we were like, hey, you think they'll kick the tires on Derek Carr before they hear what's going on with Aaron Rodgers? And I think as you and I discussed, I don't really expect Aaron Rodgers to go anywhere. He's yeah. best served staying where he is, as mm -hmm. I see it. Yeah, definitely. And you wonder, okay, Derek, let's say Derek Carr heads to the Jets. What's the play here for the Jets in terms of their future? Derek Carr is a quarterback who's not in yeah. his younger years anymore. So are they looking at this as, oh, we can get a few years out of him or, you know, however many years they think they can. But it's not like they're bringing somebody in who is – younger in his NFL career this is a guy who's already established has had some good years yes um, but what is the goal here is Zach Wilson factor into any of this yeah. or do you look at the draft too down the road I would go with I'm going to go with owner Woody Johnson's comments at the NFL honor show when he was stopped on the red carpet by ESPN's mm -hmm. Diana Rossini they wanted to bring in a veteran quarterback. That much was known, but they see it as somebody that can serve as a mentor to Zach Wilson. Now, some quarterbacks are better fits than others for something like that. If you want that bonus part of the thing with a veteran quarterback, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is your guy. No. Um, he certainly <laughs> makes you infinitely better than you are now, but he's not going to be helping Zach Wilson anytime soon. And I can't speak to whether or not Derek Carr would do that either. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, Derek Carr is only 31. That's not old in quarterback years. It might be elsewhere, you know, on a football mm -hmm. field, but not, not at quarterback. So I'm very curious if they do end up sitting down and talking contract with Carr, I'll be very curious to see what they're willing to commit to him because Zach Wilson has two years left on his rookie deal. There is no way in hell they're picking up a fifth-year option <laughs> to pay a quarterback salary to a guy who doesn't play. Yeah. So that's the, that's the ticking clock right now. Two years left on Zach Wilson. He ain't going to start this year. If Derek Carr plays well, and I know we're getting down the rabbit hole here, but if they sign Derek Carr, he plays well this year, or any veteran quarterback, they sign him this year, they play well this year, the guy's playing next year. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden Zach Wilson's contract is up, and you still may not know anything more about him because he hasn't played. Yeah. So I really – it's nice to say we'll get a veteran quarterback. He'll help bring Zach Wilson along. To me, I think that's lip service. I'm not buying it for mm -hmm. a second. 
I think they've already decided what Zach Wilson is. They'll keep him on the roster, maybe to save face and say, yeah, you know, at least he's a capable backup if we need to turn to him in case of injury. For my money, I, I just I think that ship has sailed. I don't think Zach Wilson has a chance to um, be a reclamation project in New York. He's got to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think he needs a change of scenery. And here's the other part of this conversation is the Jets are a couple pieces of w- away from figuring it out and from being a really good football team. They've drafted really well the past couple of years. So mm-hmm. you have these players who are on rookie contracts. Are you trying to do something in the next couple of years to cash in on all these rookies who are playing well mm-hmm. um, on rookie contracts? They're playing really, a lot of snaps. Yeah, playing a lot of snaps. The NFL graded a bunch of the, you know, every single division in the NFL. And for the AFC East, they graded out as the best team team this past year uh, with what they got out of their rookies getting an A minus grade Um, we know like you said a lot of those rookies played big time snaps on offense and on defense and and over the past couple years you have younger players who really make up a good part of your lineup so if you are going after Derek Carr is the hope that and and of course this is the hope of any team is to make it to the playoffs and make it far Um, but do you feel like you have a window in the next couple of years with a veteran quarterback to be able to do something and contend for the AFC East yeah I mean I think they believe and I think this is right to believe this I think they believe they have a championship caliber defense now that defense could potentially undergo a little bit of change this offseason based on some of the free agents they have but I think the biggest thing they have to fix aside from the quarterback position is their offensive line Mm -hmm. They had a lot of veterans who are becoming free agents, including their starting center, Connor McGovern, the guy who ended up playing right tackle, George Fant, who was like the third or fourth guy in. They got a starting guard in Nate Herbig, who's a free agent, and they have another backup tackle in Cedric Abwehi, who was just a, a late ad fill-in, who's a free agent too. They still have to figure out what the heck's going on with Makai yeah. Becton, who missed almost an entire second season. Is he a guy that you just say, we're done, throw him overboard and start over? But the offensive line has to get figured out, and they have two starters who are free agents and other guys they got to figure out. And then some of the depth of their defensive line, their contracts are up. We're talking like Sheldon Rankins, who was a starter actually and then got injured in the second half of the season. Solomon Thomas, who was a rotational mm-hmm. player for them. Quan Alexander, the linebacker, is a free agent. Quincy Williams, who's a starter at linebacker, is a free agent. So there, there are a lot of pieces in their front seven defensively. they got to figure out what they're doing there. Otherwise, that defense could look a lot different in just one off season. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it'll remain good because the core parts are there. Quinn and Williams, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed. So they have a lot of important pieces that are still in place on that side of the ball they got to fix their O-line and fast, especially with a quarterback like Derek Carr, who doesn't have the best reputation as being a guy who plays the same after he takes a few hits in a football game. There are people that say he turtles, doesn't stand tall in the pocket, especially after he's been hit early in football games. And i got to tell you, Maddie, if, if they take Derek Carr and make him their quarterback, the Jets are unquestionably better, but they don't strike fear in me. Yeah, it's not a, oh, gosh, now they have this person at and, and no offense to Derek Carr. Um, 
he's in the National Football League for a reason, but a quarterback like that um, is not a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers who who can scare opponents in the same division from or scare opponents into thinking we need to draft this or we need to add this to our roster to be able to beat what this team has yeah. on offense or defense. So we'll have to see what comes of that. Maybe they're resigned to the fact that Rodgers is going to probably stay in Green Bay. And as Manny and I were discussing on this show yesterday, I don't know why you would leave the NFC when it's basically you, Jalen Hurts, an ACL-repaired Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, and that's about it. Yeah. Maybe Dak Prescott. You know, That's all you got in the NFC at the quarterback position that comes even close to who Aaron Rodgers is. So I'd just stay in the NFC because you can probably win a lot of games just by staying over there, let alone your division. Uh, other news, it looks like Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is going to close the deal with the Washington Commanders to become their offensive coordinator. And, you know, after spending what it's got to be almost, I got to say, 10 years with the Chiefs organization under mm -hmm. Andy Reid, he's going to move on to try to, see if that can create better upward mobility into a head coaching opportunity for the enemy. So it looks like he's going there to call offensive plays. Just looks like they have to cross some T's and dot some I's, and that thing could be finalized before the weekend starts. That leaves the OC position open in Kansas City, and the popular opinion is quarterbacks coach uh, Matt Nagy is going to be promoted into that job, the former head coach of the Bears where things didn't go over very well. He had one <laughs> really good season. Laugh when I hear it. One really good season, victim of the double doink, right? He was the head yeah. coach at that time by Cody Parkey, and they got knocked out of the playoffs after a really successful regular season, and mm -hmm. then it all went to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Oh, and then he was bounced uh, unceremoniously. But he landed on his feet back in mm -hmm. Kansas City, where he, I think he was the coordinator before Enemy was, which is how he got the Bears' job in the first place. So... It looks like he'll be back wearing that hat if all the reports are accurate as to who is likely to be the enemy's replacement if he finalizes the deal in Washington. Yeah, Biennemi started with the Chiefs in 2013, was their running backs coach for four seasons, and then moved over to offensive coordinator in 2018. And this report on NFL.com from Nick Shook says that um, according to Rappaport that this deal um, could become officiable official as early as Friday yeah. um, if they're able to work out all the tiny details um, as a part of that contract and welcoming him to Washington. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I think I totally understand the argument of Biennemi wanting to get out of Andy Reid's shadow and kind of do his own thing, um, which maybe will set him up better for an opportunity as a head coaching job. It's it's a bummer that he may have to take a lateral step before he gets that head coaching opportunity within the NFL. Um, but if, if you think that this can be a, a better track, um, a better way to get to the big opportunity that you want, then why not go for it? Washington is going to be a tough place to go to um, for several reasons, like we heard Judy Batista uh, tell us yesterday. But sometimes you got to be willing to do whatever if, if you really want to chase after the one thing that you really it's want. It's a bet on me situation. Yeah. That's what yeah. it is. You know, Eric Bieniemy is going to say, I'm going to bet on me. Mm -hmm. I have enough confidence in myself that – I can make this offense better, even though we're probably going 
with a first-time starter, second-year player, and Sam Howell at quarterback. Those are all the indications coming out of Washington from head coach Ron Rivera. So that's a challenge, but yeah. if he can make it work and make Sam Howell a productive quarterback in this league and you can get a reputation as a quarterback whisperer, you can advance very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I look at say, all the guys. Fast track. Yeah, look at all the guys that have gotten jobs in this league that are known as quarterback developers. Frank Wright got the job in Indianapolis after making it all the way to the Super Bowl and helping Nick Foles uh, as a backup get all the way there and win the thing over the Patriots. Brian Dable did a heck of a job here with Josh Allen. He's a head coach now. And then the OC in Philly. Shane Steichen mm -hmm. is now the head coach of the Colts again. You know, the Indianapolis Colts pull out of the Philadelphia organization to hire an offensive head coach who had success in developing Jalen Hurts. So it, it has proven to be a fast track. So if the enemy can make Sam Howell look like a capable, capable, confident, and productive quarterback, he could put himself on a track to a head coaching job sooner rather than later. And Shane Staken's path to becoming a head coach, he was he was an offensive assistant uh, in when the Chargers were in yeah. San Diego from 2011 to 2012, then goes to be an offensive QC in 2013. Um, and from there, kind of works his way up the ranks, bouncing over to the Chargers from QC to quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator. But that's a pretty fast track to, to becoming a head yeah. coach. You don't have to hold too many positions or that offensive coordinator position for too long to get, or at least he didn't, to get an opportunity. He was an offensive coordinator for just three, if you count his interim offensive coordinator season with the Chargers in 2019, which wasn't even for the full season, before he became the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So mm -hmm. you're in that role for about two years, and there's his opportunity. Right. And the other coordinator from the Eagles, Jonathan Gannon, who's now the head coach of the Cardinals, he had his press conference yesterday, and basically owner Michael Bidwell, he was asked what made Gannon so attractive, and he said one of the things that did make him attractive to them as a head coaching candidate was Gannon's take – on Kyler Murray as an elite quarterback. I can guarantee you that not every candidate they brought in for an interview shared that same opinion. In fact, I know one who did not was Brian Flores. Brian Flores, who most recently was a defensive assistant with the Pittsburgh Steelers, was on their head coaching list. He interviewed with the Cardinals and then withdrew his name before the list even got whittled down. And I think it was basically, and Steve talks about this all the time, Maddie, it's a great job, but I'm not your guy. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why is Flores, I don't know that he believes that Kyler Murray is a team-building type winner. He's, he's kind of known as a little bit of a me guy, and that can be hard to navigate. And Flores ultimately takes the defensive coordinator job in Minnesota – instead of the head coaching, well, who knows if he would have been the choice. Yeah. But he withdrew from that consideration because for him, he said he went with his gut. He felt the Minnesota defensive coordinator position was a better fit for him than down there in Arizona. And not for nothing, Arizona is or has proven to be a very tough place to win for anybody mm -hmm. over the years. Um, so I could 
it's not surprising to see that. And then knowing some of the rumblings that are out there about Kyler Murray, it doesn't surprise me that a guy like Brian Flores withdrew his name. Gannon obviously feels differently. He feels he is an elite quarterback that he can win with. And I know he's working through names right now for offensive coordinators because that's going to be the most important hire that Jonathan Gannon makes yeah. as a defensive head coach coming from the defensive side of the ball. He's obviously got a big lift in fixing a 31st-ranked defense in terms of points allowed. Mm-hmm. He, better, he better get the coordinator hire <laughs> right to fix Kyler Murray whenever he does come back because all indications are he's not going to be ready at the start of the season after suffering that ACL injury pergolating the year. Yeah, you don't want to be a head coach who's having to observe both sides of the ball during practices. You want to have enough faith and trust in that person that you hire to where you could say, you're fine. Run your de- run your offense right. the way you want to run it. I don't need to be checking in on certain position groups during practice. Yeah, that's what I mean. You need a guy like, here are the keys to the yeah. offense. Make it happen. I'll be checking in periodically, mm-hmm. but this is your show to run, so please make it run well yeah. <laughs> more than anything else. We saw yesterday, we told you about Peter King's report, that he could see the Jets kicking the tires on a possible trade to acquire Lamar Jackson I think it would take a king's ransom to make that happen. So I would be shocked if it ever came to pass. And, you know, now we hear that Derek Carr is going to be visiting the Jets this weekend. But it was interesting that a short time after that, there were initial reports that the Ravens did not seek input from Lamar Jackson when they made the hire of offensive coordinator Todd Monken, who comes from the University of Georgia program, where he was the OC there. He has coached in the league before for many years as an OC. But then the Ravens come out and say, oh, 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 we we sought input from Lamar Jackson on this. So they refuted some of the reports that were out there that they had not sought his input when hiring offense. We know that the Bills, you know, Mm -hmm. talked to Josh. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, who would your preference be for an OC to work with every single day? And he gave a resounding endorsement to Ken Dorsey. So the reports that the Ravens didn't even talk to Lamar about hiring Todd Monken kind of sent some shockwaves through Baltimore, but then the Ravens came, oh, we, we talked to Lamar. We're, we're good here. <laughs> Just found that interesting. Yeah. Offensive coordinator coming out of Georgia. Um, it's always interesting to see hires um, where college coaches are, are being brought into the NFL. Now, like you said, he's coaching the NFL prior to this. Um, But you always wonder what that position or what that person can bring to the table coming from a league where the NFL grabs things from all the time. And and the type of players that are coming into the NFL every year, the NFL adjusts based on how those guys played in college and are kind of bringing that into the NFL. So maybe it works out if if that's where Lamar Jackson is going to be. Maybe it works out in his favor. I mean, the results we've seen have been somewhat mixed. Brian Dable was wildly successful. Now, we should take into account he had been an offensive coordinator at the NFL level, then goes down to Alabama, works with Nick Saban, wins a national title, then comes to the Bills, and really turns this offense into a juggernaut. Joe Brady goes from LSU winning a national title there, goes to Carolina. It doesn't go quite as well for him, and then he ultimately lands here as the quarterback's coach. We saw the Patriots hire Bill O'Brien back, and he's been his head coach at the NFL level, 
But he was the OC down in Alabama. How does he do in his second stint up in New England with Mac Jones? We'll have to wait and see. And now Baltimore doing the same thing Mm -hmm. with a guy that has NFL coordinator experience, successful at the college level, two national titles, and now back in the NFL. It seems like a trend Mm -hmm. in terms of the hiring. And then the reports that we hired, wide receivers coach uh, Adam Adam Henry, Henry, who comes out of college football as well, having prior experience in the NFL. Yeah. So looks like a trend. We'll see how much it continues you know, as there are still some coordinator positions out there that need to be filled. Maddie and I will take a break here. Your OBL Fan Friday mailbag questions are welcome. We will get to them in short order. If you have any, fire them off to us either at One Bills Live on Twitter or you can call us up 803-0550, We also have some NFL draft, mock draft watch oh, yeah. coming your way next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. We are less than two weeks away from the NFL Combine when the pre-draft process begins in earnest. And already on buffalobills.com, it has begun. Mock Draft Watch 1.0 is already up on buffalobills.com. Mock Draft Watch 2.0 will be coming your way on buffalobills.com next week. But we have a little teaser preview here as uh, Maddie compiles these lists every pre-draft season uh, to let you know what the draft Knicks are thinking about the Bills, who this year are technically at pick 27 with Miami forfeiting their pick at 20, I think they were. Mm -hmm. So number 27, that pick for the Bills, we've tracked 35 mock drafts overall so far. And the latest crop that you'll see released on buffalobills.com later next week, we tracked 22 mock drafts. So of Mm. those 22, do you want to guess what position was our most mocked position? First time around, it was running back. Yeah. We've got another position taking the lead in the latest mock drafts. Okay. Um, I'm only going to guess this because I've seen his name a lot. I'm going to say safety slash DB because like, I've seen mm-hmm. that branch kid from yep. Alabama yep. mocked to the Bills a ton lately. He has been. So – Safety was mocked to the Bills five times of the 20, 22 mock drafts mm. that I tracked in this version, this 2.0 version of the mock draft watch. Uh, the overall favorite position in the latest crop, okay, offensive line. Oh, good. Eight of them. All right. Eight People times, are coming around to our way of thinking here. Eight times offensive linemen were mocked to the Buffalo Bills. Of those eight position breakdown, interior offensive line six times. Offensive tackle once, and then you have an offensive tackle, offensive guard once, who I think is going to be an offensive guard. That's Cody Mock, um, who somebody put OTOG for positions that he could play. All right. Um, I'm about that. I'm all about that. But the favorite of the offensive lineman was an offensive guard, Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Um, He's got some pretty crazy measurables, uh, that guy does. So next to safety – Five times safeties were mocked to the Buffalo Bills, tied with safety. Running back, 
Five times running backs were mocked to the Buffalo Bills. Bijan Robinson also tied with Osiris Torrance being mocked to the Bills four times. I know running backs get devalued in the draft, but if he is as special as everybody says he is, there is no way this guy is getting to 27. We had Sam Acho on the show Mm -hmm. last week, who is a Texas Longhorns alum. He's very plugged in to the Texas program, and he raves about B. John Robinson. And I said, all right, so if he's that great, even at running back, (laughs) there's no way he's getting to 27. And he goes, I'll be shocked if he's out, if he gets out of the top 15 Mm -hmm. picks. He thinks he's a top half of round one prospect, even though running backs get devalued. So he said, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. He said he wouldn't put him quite – on the Saquon Barkley level, but mm-hmm. he said he's not far off. Yeah. So to me, you know, Saquon went, what, second overall? And I realize quarterbacks can push any position group down right, right. if they're valued highly enough. But if I'm trusting Sam Acho, who's plugged into the program, <laughs> has, has watches every game, has seen a lot of this kid, I don't know that he even gets to 27 to consider. Yeah, I don't think so. That's been the consensus from, and yes, the people who are releasing mock drafts right now, a lot of them know what they're talking about. But at this point in the offseason, Peter Schrager said it on Good Morning Football today, and I'm sure a lot of the people making these mock drafts agree with him, is that it's tough to do these mock drafts right now when Mm -hmm. you haven't had the combine yet and when you don't know what's happening in free agency, the combine gives you a little bit more of a peek into what guys are doing, what, what if it's their health, if it's um, their measurables, if it's their 40 time, if it's just general managers and what, what the chatter is coming out of the NFL combine that kind of gives you maybe a look into what teams are going to do with that first pick that they have in the first round of the NFL draft. Bijan Robinson? I like you said, I don't think he's going to be there at number 27 for the Bills to take. And I'm okay with that because I don't think running back is the right choice for the Bills yeah. for that first pick in the first round of the draft when they have a lot of other places that they really need depth in. Uh, you mentioned safety, Antonio Johnson out of Texas A&M. He was like mocked him. to the Bills Good three player. times uh, in the latest mock draft watch 2.0. So that was another favorite name. Wide receiver. We saw wide receivers mocked to the Bills. Only three out of the 22 that we tracked were okay. wide receivers, which I thought was a little bit shocking. I thought we would see a few more numbers there. Zay Flowers was the favorite name of the wide okay. receivers out of Boston. A little bit, little bit small, yep. but definitely a great route runner, separator. So I would understand why people would mock him to the Bills, but I think we have guys that are that size mm-hmm. already in the receiving core. I'd be more inclined, unless you have somebody that's such a ridiculous route runner that they are always open, quote-unquote. Um, and and he is, he is kind of that – he's cut from that cloth. The size would worry me, though. Zay Flowers, 5'10", 172 pounds. So that's that size that you're talking about. Yeah, and the, I think 5'10 is generous. <laughs> yeah. The other wide receiver that was mocked to the Buffalo Bills, this was the first trade that I've seen for the Bills in a oh, mock draft. already. Okay. So the Bills trading up to number 20 
via the Seattle Seahawks trading away that okay. first round pick number 27 and trading Seattle away has two picks in the first round yes, so I could see trading that. away their third round pick as well so the first so the and Bills the give third up a one and a three to go up seven spots to go up seven spots <laughs> and with that pick number 20 they decide to draft Jordan Addison oh, out of okay. USC 6 well. <laughs> feet 174 pounds yeah um yeah, I'd be again. I would be very surprised if he slides that far. Yeah, you know that's a guy that if he's still there, I could see a team making that kind of move from the lower twenties yeah. to go get him. He is go he's a dynamic guy. player, um, not a physical player by any means, because as you mentioned, he's only one hundred and seventy-five pounds, soaking wet. Um. But he is a dynamic route runner. When I watch Jordan Addison run routes, he actually reminds me a little bit of Diggs. Um, just with how sharp and precise his route running is, which is saying something. But I don't know. I'm kind of I'm getting a little picky <laughs> with these first-round receivers. I think that's I a want a thing. bigger, more physical guy. Um, who can also run routes. So what are some... But I would, I would be fine with Addison. Yeah. I wouldn't argue that for a second. He do is a have, supreme talent. Do you have any names I like that the you SMU like? kid. Okay. I like Rasheed Rice a lot. Mm-hmm. 6'2", 203, and he's got route running ability. High volume pass catcher there at SMU. I realize it's a wide open offense. They don't play a lot of defense in his conference, so guys are running free a lot. Didn't see a ton of press coverage, which is usually the case for a lot of college receivers. But I just like the combination of physical size, strength, guy that can run through tackles, um, and his catchability, route running ability, and all that. I don't think he's as highly graded a prospect as Addison. So, look, don't get me wrong. I'd be over the moon if they can get – a guy like Addison, I just see him off the board in like the first 15, 16 picks. Yeah, you wonder if he's going to be around at 20. Another position that was mocked to the Bills, we saw a linebacker in the first crop of mock drafts that we tracked. The different position in this round, a tight end to the Bills yeah. at number 27. Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. There's a there's a couple of tight ends that are gonna that are really great tight ends that are yeah. in this year's NFL draft. We, Steve and I were talking about it on our Bills by the Numbers podcast this week in terms of the position group we're most interested in getting our eyeballs on when we get to the combine. Steve said receiver, obvious there. But I said, I really want to see what these tight ends look yeah. like because they're already labeling this tight end class as special in terms of the talented pass catchers that it offers. I've seen as many as five ranked in the top 50, 10 ranked in the top 100. That is unheard of at the tight end position. Mm -hmm. So I think it affords Brandon Bean and his personnel department the opportunity to pivot to that position if they don't like the value at wide receiver. Mm -hmm. So like, let's just say you're down there at 27 and the value at receiver just flat out isn't there, do you trade out and slide back to a place where you do think there is value at wide receiver, or do you stay where you are because there is uncommonly good value at a position like tight end, which you could argue with this crop could help you just as much in the passing game as a receiver could you know, at the top end of the draft. I think it's a worthwhile thing to consider. 
you know, at the bottom of round one. George Kittle comps, Travis Kelsey comps to some of these guys. I mean, you could convince me into being excited about the Bills taking a tight end in the first round if it's the right guy and you start to think about what could this offense look like when you're truly playing a lot more 12 personnel in certain packages. Right, and Musgrave can really move. Like, he is – I look at I look at him as more of a tight receiver mm-hmm. than I do a tight end. He's like a hybrid type, and um, he didn't have a great Senior Bowl week by all accounts. But I attribute that a little bit to the rust factor. He only played two games this past year. He was out with an injury, so you think about how long he's gone without playing competitive football, and then he gets thrown into a Senior Bowl, which he willingly accepted the invite because I think he knew I missed almost my whole season. Yeah, I got to get on the field. Well and show people I can compete, didn't have the best week, but I think there's enough tape there to be convinced as to what his ceiling and potential could be. So, yeah, I think he's going to hear his name called, certainly within the top 50 picks somewhere, and yeah, the guy can move. Like, that Oregon State offense, when they needed a play, they went to him, mm-hmm. not a receiver, and more often than not, he delivered when he was healthy and on the field. So, And he's just one of a number of guys at the tight end position in the draft. I know a lot of people are high on uh, the Mayer kid from yeah, Notre Michael Dame Mayer. because he's seen as a complete tight end. He's mm-hmm. 265 God, pounds can block. and can block, yep. line up with his hand on the ground, which is harder and harder to find these days at the college level because they got all these guys running routes now, standing up at the line of scrimmage, detached, out wide, and Musgrave's one of those types. Mayer is a throwback. I mean, how many times did we hear for this offense – 68 reports is eligible. Bobby right. Hart. Yeah. So You wouldn't have to do that yeah. with a guy like Mayer. Would it be better to have somebody like Mayer to be able to do that when you need him to, but also be able to line out wide or line up wherever uh, to be able to catch some balls from Josh Allen? The other running back who is mocked to the Buffalo Bills, Todd McShay's mock draft, Brownie. Mm. ESPN's Todd McShay, a guy who knows a lot about the NFL draft. Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. Yeah, I saw that. And again, I'm just like, okay, (laughs) he's a great player. I just think you could do a whole lot more to improve your running game by improving your offensive line. Mm -hmm. I I really think James Cook is a dynamic player. And we saw flashes of that this past year. But I think if you improve your offensive line with talent, he'll look even better next year. Not to mention Naheem Hines and whoever else they got lining up back there. I, I say improve your line to make your run game better, not the running back position with a high draft choice. I'm completely on board with that, and that's what it showed in the latest round of the mock draft watch. Eight offensive linemen being mocked to the Buffalo Bills at number 27. All right, so mock draft watch 2.0 will be up on buffalobills.com late next week. Be sure to keep an eye out for it and right up until the draft as Maddie will be putting out future editions of that as we get closer and closer to late April. We have to take a break here. When we come back, we'll dive into the OBL Fan Friday mailbag and take your phone calls as well at 803-0550. Back in a flash here on One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you here on a Friday where the OBL Fan Friday mailbag is open. We'll get to some of the comments 
in the mailbag on Twitter in just a moment, but we're going to go to the phones first at 803-0550, And leading us off today is Judy in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Judy? Uh, three things. You know, you're talking about coaching and, and so forth. And, and, you know, I'm looking at all these people who are being taken from other teams as coaching possibilities. And, and our coaches seem to be overlooked. That seems to be a very telling feature. I know we lost our wide receivers coach, okay? Secondly, you're talking about the draft. There's nobody in the draft that's going to cause, that's going to uh, solve our problem. Uh, we need to either get some, some sort of trade for a, a good receiver or uh, get some sort of a free agent. Uh, somebody who intrigues me, I, I don't know what his status is, is Kendrick Bourne of the New England Patriots. He's always had a good game against us, and he seems to be a gamer. He seems to be kind of the receiver that you want in for that equivalent of Davis and Diggs. So I, I, I wait for your comments, but, you know, yeah. un, until we solve that receiving problem, we, we could have a very mediocre season coming up. All right, Judy, thanks for the call. Um, yeah, Kendrick Bourne is not a free agent. He signed a contract with them just two off-seasons ago, not last off-season, but the off-season before. It was a long-term contract, as I remember. So he is still under contract for this coming season with the Patriots. They do have a couple of receivers who are free agents. Jacoby Myers, who is their leading receiver and more of a possession-type guy, and Nelson Aguilar. Um, Myers would be an interesting guy to kick the tires on, but um, – is that the kind of receiver that the Bills are looking for? Perhaps, you know, you need somebody that can allow Josh to press the easy button to make easy completions like he did with Beasley for three seasons that was sorely missing in the offense this year. Concerning your coaching point, I will point out that Brian Dable was getting interviews left, right, and center when he was here and then eventually became the head coach of the Giants. Leslie Frazier just one off season ago was getting head coaching interviews in Houston. And Ken Dorsey just got uh, a head coaching interview in Carolina before they ultimately hired Frank Reich. So it's not like this staff is devoid of drawing interest. As a matter of fact, I'm glad they're not drawing interest because <laughs> it allows for better continuity for this staff going forward next year. Yeah, I'd rather have some continu continuity on the staff. We have had continuity in the past. I think that's played out well for the Bills. Uh, I want it again next year, knowing what the team went through this year with this current coaching staff. I think this coaching staff is going to be able to coach that group better, uh, knowing what happened last year with, with, the, with the weather, with DeMar Hamlin, with the injuries. Who better to coach them than somebody who went through that with him. Uh, Kendrick Bourne enters his last year of his deal this upcoming season in 2024. He's an unrestricted free agent, so he signed a three-year deal with the New England Patriots. Um, so wide receiver-wise, I always think back to what Brandon Bean said in that final press conference that we had with him this season, which was, if we're going to find somebody on the market, it's going to be a low-budget free agent because Von Miller is our splash signing for this year, too. Yeah. So I think that the receiver position has a good chance to be addressed both in free agency and the draft. I think the Bills recognize what the issue is. So I would anticipate that, Judy, and hopefully that does, in fact, come to pass. We have to take a break here. When we come back, 
We're going to be talking about Buffalo's game on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean next fall. They'll be playing in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, losing one of their nine home games as a result. And who else is better to talk to about that than NFL UK correspondent Neil Reynolds, who will join us in hour number two here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to hour number two here on a Friday. Chris Brown, Matty Glab, One Bills Live. OBL Fan Friday mailbag is open. We'll be uh, connecting with NFL UK reporter, Sky Sports NFL reporter Neil Reynolds in just a little bit. Trying to make that connection to the other side of the pond can sometimes be easier said than done, so we'll <laughs> catch up with him shortly. In the meantime, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Josh in Danville. What do you got for us, Josh? Hi, Chris and Maddie. How are you guys today? Good. Uh, I just wanted to say I'm a long-time listener. been listening since it was the John Murphy show. I never called in. Um, as you guys have stated before, um, I know that Ken Dorsey did a good job this year, and I completely agree with that. Where I would see uh, the one-week spot was far too often um, Stefan Diggs, did not make a big impact in the game, uh, having too many times like one catch or just two catches. And I would like to see Dorsey hopefully in his second season maybe be more creative with the play calling as Diggs can play every spot on the field uh, as far as wide receiver position. And uh, you see guys like Andrews or Jamar Chase or – Travis Kelsey, all those kind of guys, their OCs make sure that they are making an impact in, in each game that they're in. And I just, I know Diggs in interviews I've seen has been frustrated, and now he's going to have a new wide receiver coach and stuff like that. And I just hope Dorsey can make those changes in year two. Yeah. All right. Fair enough, Josh. I mean, I'm, I will say in Dorsey's defense, he moved Diggs around an awful lot. As a matter of fact, once it became readily apparent to the offensive staff that the slot role was not going to be capably filled in the same way it was with Beasley, they put Diggs in the slot mm-hmm. a lot to facilitate easier throws, not only to stay on the field offensively and move the sticks, but to get Stephon Diggs more targets because when he's outside, he's easier to double-team, bracket, roll coverage over the top. And so they moved him inside to give him two-way goes to get open more often and to get him more targets. Now, you are 100% right. Second half of the year, his targets per game went down by 50%. And they didn't find a consistent solution to overcome that. So that is on the offensive staff, and it is something they're going to have to figure out. Maybe they believe the best way to figure it out is by adding more weapons to pull attention away from him. 
Yeah, and I think that's what they were hoping would happen with Gabe Davis this season was, hey, you have another premier or soon-to-be premier wide receiver out there on the field. Maybe he gets some attention. Dawson Knox gets some attention, and that frees up some opportunities for Stephon Diggs. He's got to be throwing the ball more in this upcoming season. I think everybody agrees that, including Ken Dorsey. Yeah. And again, you also fall victim to the decision-making process of Josh Allen every time he drops back to pass. Uh, We'll have to see what it looks like next season, but hopefully with added weapons and maybe improved scheming with an offseason to look at it all, Dorsey has more consistent answers to get Diggs the football week in and week out. Pleased to be joined now, though, here in hour number two by NFL reporter in the U.K., not only for the NFL, but for Sky Sports as well, host of the Neil Reynolds podcast. Guess who it is? It's Neil Reynolds joining (laughs) us here as uh, we are very excited to bring in our uh, European expert, knowing the Bills, Neil, are going to be playing in your neck of the woods next fall. Very exciting. Good. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Good to see you, Maddie. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. I hosted the uh, NFL on Regent Street event in 2015 when the Bills came over to play the Jags. I remember being on stage with uh, the great Jim Kelly. Love working with Jim. I hope he's back over as well. Um, and I remember looking out down Regent Street, the NFL had taken over this major shopping street in the middle of London, and the Bills Mafia was everywhere. Um, It's going to be fantastic. Cannot cannot wait to see it. Um, You know, I love watching Josh Allen play. I think he's one of the most dynamic, one of the most exciting players in the uh, entire NFL, and we're going to get to see him in London. Uh, Very exciting. Speaking of the Bills and the season they had this year, how do you look back on their season and what do you think they need to do in this offseason to contend for a Super Bowl? So I think they're I think they're right there. I wrote about this last week, talking about the greatness of Mahomes and what the Chiefs have done. It's going to be a scrap to get out of the AFC every year because it's the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills. So they're right in the mix. Um, I think the season was was shaping up to be everything I expected it to be. I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. Um, I thought Josh Allen was going to be the MVP. And, you know, I think I think looking at it from afar, you know, the DeMar Hamlin situation and everything the team went through there, they just looked like they ran out of gas against Cincinnati. Um, so I think they're there. I think they've got, you know, got the, an elite quarterback. You've got to have an elite quarterback uh, to win the Super Bowl. We've just seen that with the way... Mahomes and Hurts went up and down the field on each other. So the Bills have got that. I think I'd love to see a like a really elite running back just to complete the set on offense. I think the offense is fantastic, but um yeah, maybe if there'd have been that if uh, the Christian McCaffrey trade had brought him to Buffalo instead of San Francisco, that might have been a thing. Um that's maybe somewhere I look at, but I think you'd be nitpicking to to try and pull this roster apart too much. I think it's been excellent. Neil, what is the international cachet of somebody like Josh Allen? Has his popularity reached critical mass over there? We know like a guy like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, who's now been in three Super Bowls and won two, has that kind of international notoriety. We know Allen is a popular person here. I mean, he's got one of the highest-selling jerseys in our country. Where does he rate over there, I'm curious on the on the European landscape. So I think if you're looking in the in the NFL, among NFL fans, then he's uh, you know he is uh, 
recognised as one of the true superstars of the league. We see what he does with his uh, with his arm and with his legs. Um, you know, to give you an indication, the number one selling jersey in the UK this past year was Tom Brady. So <laughs> we've still got uh, that kind of. Um, yeah, you know, I think winning the Super Bowls brings in the the the. I always call it the taxi driver test. You know, you get in the back of a cab in London and they're going to know about Tom Brady. Um, Josh maybe isn't there yet, you know, and that and that's uh, bringing him to London is going to be a big part of that. But, you know, certainly amongst the, you know, the fan base that's already here and, and those are the people that are going to be packing out uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They're going to be, they're going to be on the edge of their seats looking to get a glimpse of, of Josh Allen because it's, you know, we've, we've had, uh, Aaron Rodgers, we've had Tom Brady over to play uh, in the UK. We haven't had Joe Burrow. We haven't had uh, Patrick Mahomes. We haven't had Josh Allen. So this is one of the, for me, it's one of the big three. Um, you know, you can throw Jalen Hurts in there, make it four if you want the best quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. So, you know, there's going to be a clamour for tickets. Uh, people are going to want to see uh, this MVP candidate in the flesh. Yeah, watching those tickets sell out for some of the international games is absolutely wild. I love to see a fan base like that in London and in Germany. And and speaking of those two places and and the games that the NFL has had and will continue to have in places like London and Germany, how much have you seen the fan base grow in those places, the, the NFL fan bases grow, thanks to having some games over there every season? Yeah, I mean, it grows in every every way you want to look at it in terms of how quickly tickets sell out, how quickly uh, and how many people register their interest to buy tickets. Uh, we just had the biggest ever Super Bowl on Sky Sports uh, on TV. Um, so nothing's, nothing's slowing down. Everything's, everything continues to just have momentum. You, no one's getting tired of these games. And, and here's where we are now with... With the three games in the UK that were announced where we got the, the designated teams uh, coming with the opponents still to be announced, we, we announced the Jags, we announced the Titans, and of course we announced the Bills. Nobody batted an eyelid. Like, it was expected. Three games. Oh, yeah, that's expected. We should have three games in London. Absolutely, that's what we expect. Oh, you're going to give us two in Germany? Fantastic. They deserve it. So that's where I think it, it just continues to grow and and like I say, the biggest thing is not slow down. You know, with different teams coming, um, nobody's getting tired of the of the NFL rolling into town. And and quite frankly, it's a part of the sporting calendar. We expect to see it every October and November. Neil, can you do your best to handicap who you think Buffalo's oh, no. opponent might be this fall? <laughs> now, the reason I ask this is because Let's the, play again. Look at their, so you look at their home opponents. You know the Bills are losing one of their nine home games. So we know that. Number one, and correct me if I don't remember this right, but Denver played overseas last season, so they would not seem to be a candidate. The Giants played overseas last season. They would not seem to be a candidate. Tampa Bay played in Germany this past season, so maybe you rule them out as a candidate. And Jacksonville, when they play over there, they typically play in Wembley. So that's four off the board right there. Do, does the league make a team play a division opponent overseas? Not terribly often. So that figures to rule out the Jets, Patriots, and Dolphins. You're down to the Raiders and the Cowboys, as I see it, Neil. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
So that would be my first thought, is the Raiders and Cowboys have huge fan bases uh, in the UK, very, very popular teams, historically popular. Um, I think the... I think you're right. I think the division games are rare. Uh, teams like to protect those. Um, they can't protect all of them. They can't protect every game. You know, you can't right. only protect so many. Um, we've seen games that Jags have played the Colts before. We've we've seen division games uh, in London, but I think I think Buffalo is such a home field advantage. It would be unfair for them to to have one of those. So I think it's Raiders, um, and I don't know, I'm specul- I'm playing the speculation game like right. everyone else. So I'd say Raiders or Cowboys, or how about this for a twist? The Jacksonville Jaguars as a road team one week, then they're the home team in London the next. Oh, and so they play two over there. I see what you're doing there. Ah, okay. 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 Something, we're something have- to think about. Something yeah, to look yeah. for. You never know. I like that. That's... You, so you you could see the Jaguars organization being comfortable with that kind of an arrangement. Because the Jags, if you remember, I don't know if you remember, before yeah. COVID hit and we took the games away, we're going to play two home games in London. Oh, so they were going to do that. Okay. This is a, yeah, so this is a way for them to play two, ah. but they don't impact their market so much. So, that you know, we know the Jags are the, the team leading the charge in the UK. Right. Um, so I think that if they can make that work logistically, I think that would – appeal to the Jacksonville Jaguars for Buffalo it you know it gets it protects their division games it protects what I assume would be a hugely valuable game playing against Dallas at home or uh the Raiders I mean let's see is it Aaron Rodgers who knows but let's see if he, what happens when he comes <laughs> up but um yeah but let's just keep an eye out for the Jags because you're right the Gi- Giants were there last year uh the Bucks were there Denver were there um yeah I wonder about the Jags I like that twist. I'm I'm on board for a twist like that. And the Bills will be playing in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I think it's really cool because the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is one of the inspirations for Buffalo's new stadium that will open in 2026. Yes. And, of course, over the next couple months, we expect more details and things to be released as we get closer and closer to that date. Still a few years off. Um, but do you think it's interesting that the Bills chose that stadium as a primary design for what they're going to have in Buffalo? I think it's one of the best stadiums I've ever been in in terms of what covering an NFL game, it's so authentic. It looks so the real deal that it's like an NFL stadium has been plucked from New York or Miami and flown across the pond and just dumped uh, in North London. It, it is outstanding. It's got the soccer field uh, rolls out the same way we saw at the, um, at the Super Bowl in, in Arizona. So that grass field goes out and set, kind of six to eight feet below that, so immediately you're into NFL sight lines, is the field turf of Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And, I mean, this is such a cliche. There's not a bad seat in the house. <laughs> um, it, it's it's just the most stunning stadium that I... I put it right out there with the best stadiums. I've, I've been to SoFi. I've been to yeah, all the good stadiums in the NFL. So I can see uh, why you would want to look at that. You feel like you're right on top of the action. Um so it's a it's a it's a great fan experience, um, and I like I can see the the, ren, the the artist renderings of the Bill Stadium. Right. No roof, right? No Keep roof. the elements. Yeah, out in the ele- it'll be more of the seats will be covered. They said up to sixty five percent will have the canopy, which I know is a lot more popular in a lot of the European soccer stadiums 
than it is here in some of the more traditional uh, American football stadiums. But yeah, uh, you know, the, the people that are in charge of making those decisions on the stadium said, you know, it's, it's largely modeled after a lot of what the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has uh, in terms of its bones and details, uh, which is kind of exciting. The thing about the field that still fascinates me is how it hydraulically lifts up out of the earth. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know, it's, it's crazy. The engineering involved to go from the soccer pitch of the grass field, and then it is a turf field, right? The football field that they bring right. up from underneath. Yeah, so it's a turf field, but what they don't do, because obviously in American football compared to Premier League soccer, you have guys stood on the sidelines, right? right? So they bring it up a little bit, but it's still considerably lower than the soccer field because immediately you don't have to wipe out the first two or three rows of your seats because by leaving the, the football field lower than the soccer field, your sidelines are great, so you don't... You don't have to worry about seat kills and things like that. And you don't have to worry about players on the sidelines. So, yes, it does come up a bit. But ultimately, it's shorter, uh, lower than the soccer field. They roll that soccer field out of the way. And there's your ready-made NFL field underneath. All of a sudden, the person in row one can see what's on the football field when they wouldn't see it if it was not lower. So, it's it's very simple, but it's, it's amazing. So, because... A soccer pitch is naturally wider by about 30-some-odd yards than a football field. Mm. So that those edges of the soccer field remain, I'm guessing, like the... the like that whole thing rolls out, and oh. then it, it comes... So everything is then set lower. So your sidelines on the NFL field are lower as well. One side of the stadium has soccer locker rooms. The other side has the huge NFL locker rooms. I mean, this was a... This was a groundbreaking moment for the NFL in the UK when right. Daniel Levy uh, went from Tottenham Hotspur, went to the commissioner of the NFL and said, how do we build a stadium that becomes the home of the NFL? And the NFL said, we need this, we need this, we need this. And a Premier League soccer team designed their stadium with half of their stadium with the NFL in, in mind. And they're getting their reward. They get two games every year. But that is incredible compared to where we were years ago where... You'd be lucky if you got a preseason game. Now we've got all these regular season games and you've got a Premier League soccer team asking to design the stadium to fit the NFL. So knowing the amount of effort that London has put into this and, and designing a soccer stadium in hopes of getting NFL games there, what is the hope for the NFL and the partnership with the international games in the next five to 10 years, what are you hoping this sport grows into or the NFL grows into with its partnership um, with places like London and Germany and maybe even more in five years? Yeah. So I think there's two ways of looking at it. You could end up with a kind of like formula one grand prix type circuit, which includes a game in Paris, a game in Barcelona, a game in London, a game in Munich, a game in Frankfurt, or there is the very real possibility. I still believe of, uh, of a of a franchise in London, um, you know, and a franchise in in Germany, and, and kind of half jokingly, when I interviewed the commissioner in October, uh, said, "Well, you know, I'm always asking for a franchise. Could we please have a division?" And he said, "You know what? That's something we're looking at because when LA didn't have a team for 24 years, they came back with two. He believes London could 
could host two teams. We've got games in Frankfurt this year in Germany. We had a game in Munich last year in Germany. That's fanciful, I understand. But here's the, the bottom line of what the NFL has done. They've laid the table. So the fan base is now here. The political support is here. The stadia uh, is in place. Uh, now it's really up to an owner. An owner who says, well, I can't get this or that in this market in the US. I feel I'm maxed out. I can't get a stadium. All the NFL will do. They're not going to openly now lobby owners to say, you must bring a team to London or you must bring a team to Munich. They lay the table and then ownership know that there is an option there if they wish to pursue it um, for a team in London. But I actually believe 20, 30 years down the road, we could be looking at a, a European division. I feel like the commissioner is very careful with what he says, and he's very good at what he says and how he says it. And he said that to me unprompted. I would kind of jokingly made a, a joke about a division. He could have straight batted that, and he said, we are looking at that. So yeah. to me, that was significant. And what do we make of, or can anything be made of the NFL clubs stateside that are trying to lay down marketing routes in other countries, not just in Europe, but I mean, as far away as Australia, China, um, mm -hmm. I, I understand the money-making opportunities tied in with that, but is there something more to it, do you think, with regard to the future of teams being overseas? I think so. I think when you look at the 49ers, you know, their ownership also owns Leeds United and, and the Premier League team there. You've got Shard Khan with uh, owning Fulham. You know, they're, they're certainly aware of the sporting market in the UK. Um, I'm just thinking I might backtrack on my uh, opponent prediction for 2023 because, of course, the Jets and the Dolphins, um, you know, are one of the, among those teams marketing themselves. Uh, in the UK, but I found Buffalo. One of the first games I'm circling and protecting is that one against Miami. So that's not going to come over here. But <laughs> yes, those teams are those teams are investing uh, time, effort. You know, building websites, fan parties, player visits. Um, you know, there's all always a, a kind of reason for that, and I think it's much more than it used to be. It used to be, you know, the American Bowl series in the '80s. Teams would roll in play a game, sell a bunch of caps and T-shirts and then disappear. These teams are looking to lay down roots. So, yeah, the, the teams that are doing that in the UK, Bears, Vikings, Dolphins, Jets, Jags, we've got to keep an eye on them to see how much they get invested. Um, they're doing it to varying degrees at the moment. Some are more invested than others, um, but they're looking at the UK for a reason. And I don't think it means that they're going to, Upset. I don't think the New York Jets are about to become the London Jets, um, but they certainly recognize there's a fan base that they can tap into. Um, but I do feel like one owner one day will, will bring a team to London. One final question for me is we're in the offseason now with the Kansas City Chiefs being crowned Super Bowl champions of this season. What's your favorite storyline here as we're going to be in the offseason for the next couple of months? Uh, so I would say uh, two, I'll give you two if that's all right. I'm gonna, where where does Aaron Rodgers end, end up? You know, does he go back to Green Bay? Does he retire? Um, you know, I think so. I, I I think the obvious ones like the Jets, like San Francisco, like the Raiders. I genuinely believe he could absolutely change overnight the Miami Dolphins. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but there are a number of teams that could 
present him with an opportunity to win one, uh, you know, as he bows out. Um, I think he could change a lot of teams and be the final piece. So Rogers, what happens there? And then is the number one pick for sale? You know, Lovey Smith's farewell gift to the Houston Texans was going for two uh, and knocking them out first place just before they fired him um, in terms of the draft picks. So are the Bears going to sell that pick and how much do people pay for it? So, look, we know that with the offseason, right, the NFL does a wonderful job of creating year-round headlines. And um, if you're at the Super Bowl, bet the confetti's barely fallen to the ground and those headlines are just around yeah. the corner. Yeah, <laughs> Manny and I think, Rodgers would be an absolute lunatic to come to the AFC with all the quarterback star power we have in that conference. He's better off staying right where he is. So I, I don't know. Maybe he comes out of the darkness and feels differently, but I don't know. Um, last one I have for you, Neil, is you spend an awful lot of time with our good friend Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know you love spending time with him. Do you have a story you're allowed mm. to tell on air about your time with Fitz during Super Bowl week? Uh, I mean, I just, I mean, it was, he was pretty well behaved. I mean, so oh, no, I can't that's tell. so all disappointing. This. He's in his own backyard in Arizona. Nothing. Oh, I tell you one. So I'll tell you one. Uh, so at halftime of the Super Bowl, uh, he and Chris, you can see that barrier behind us. That's so an open air. There's no glass there. So right. he and Christian Wilkins are absolutely loving Rihanna at halftime. <laughs> and I'm writing notes. And I'm writing notes of a couple of things we're going to talk about for the second half. I glance up just to check uh, on Christian and Fitz. And not six inches from my face, Fitz is looking away from me. So I've got his backside right in my face. And he's twerking to <laughs> Rihanna. Just like, this is not what I need in my life. This is not what I need at the Super Bowl. But yeah, yeah, look, he was brilliant. He was, it was so much fun. It was fun to watch him watch Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. I enjoyed everything that happened over those five hours we were together, apart from that little bit of Super yeah. Bowl half. That sounds very fitzy, though, so I'm not surprised in the least. Uh, yeah. Good one. You, you picked a good one. And suitable for air. So thanks very much, Neil. We appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. Uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you once we find out who that Bill's opponent might be, but thanks for handicapping that mm -hmm. for us as well. We'll catch up with you soon. Enjoy your weekend. And tell Phoebe Schechter right, we say hey. I will. Yep, that's Neil Reynolds <laughs> joining us, NFL UK reporter, and uh, also does a lot of good work for Sky Sports over there to promote the game. Interesting. The Jaguars' angle there yeah. to let them play two games because that field as, not really, but yeah, if as it's he been is, talked about already. I know, but as he astutely pointed out, that was supposed to happen in 2020, and then COVID hit, and all the overseas ga overseas games got scrapped completely. But the Jags were to play two games over there, technically one away game and then a home game at Wembley the very next week. And that all got scrapped, so maybe they revive that mm -hmm. and the Bills play the Jags again in London. We'll have to wait and see, although I do think the Raiders and Cowboys are on the table as well. Yeah. A Bills-Cowboys game in London? That would be Watch absolutely out. insane city. It would. That city would go bananas <laughs> for that kind of a game. We have to take a break here, but we dive into the OBL Fan Friday mailbag when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker out, Maddie Glab in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've got the Friday fan mailbag, as we do every week, where we will be answering your questions on the Bills or the league at large. Anything and everything is fair game in those two realms. And we lead off with David, who asks, who are the Bills more likely to use the franchise tag on? I'm going to go with nobody. I know. It's like, ah. I don't think it's anybody. Yeah, I don't think they want to pay top-of-the-market money for Jordan Poyer. Tremaine Edmonds would be another candidate for that. Those are probably your two candidates for that, but I don't know. I, I, I just don't think that would be the way that they go. I suppose you couldn't rule it out. I suppose if you know you could get – Edmonds on a long-term extension for less money year over year, you would maybe sign him to the tag now and then negotiate up until July 15th on an extension. And maybe that's a course of action they take, but knowing how tight they are on the cap and how much they're going to be scrambling to create cap space using the franchise tag does not help them in that regard. Um, I, I fully believe that in an ideal world, the Bills don't let Edmonds get away, but I think he's going to command major money on the free agent market, and I think his camp probably knows that. And so I think the Bills take the approach that they've always done with free agents who could potentially get away. They assign a value to the player. They present it to the player and his agent and say, this is the best we can do for you here in light of our cap constraints and other responsibilities that we have fiscally to our roster. If you feel you can do better than that, best of luck to you. If it doesn't pan out the way you think it does, you're always welcome to come back to us. This is the number we can do. Brandon Bean was asked this question the last time we spoke to him before the Bills went away for the offseason. We'll speak to Brandon again in the next coming weeks at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indy. His answer to would you consider the franchise tag on Tremaine Edmonds was, yeah, I mean, we're going to look at all that because outside, pass rushers really get put in there. The, that number can be high, so we'd have to really create some room to do that for him, but we'll look at it for sure. Yeah, so I think they consider everything. Does it mean they're going to do it? I think they'd have to do some major cap slashing yeah. to even get in a position to do that. And then even if you do create enough space to do that, the next question being and his personnel department are going to have to ask is, if we do tag him, how much does that restrict us to do the other things that are on our checklist of things to do to address other positions on the roster? If it hamstrings them too much, I don't think it's an avenue they can pursue. Um, and still be fiscally responsible to the other needs of the roster. Thomas on the mailbag question list asks, who is the most important free agent that we must re-sign? I think it's a little bit of a matter of preference and a yeah. matter of affordability. As we just discussed, Edmonds might be priced right out of what Buffalo can afford based on what he and his agent believe they'll be able to command on the open market. I mean – I know that Tremaine Edmonds has his detractors among the fan base here in Buffalo, but he's a very productive 
starting caliber linebacker with freakish physical traits, and he's entering the prime of his career at age 25. Somebody will pay him a lot of money, maybe more money than the Bills can afford to pay in light of their cap situation. So is he the most important free agent? You could argue that he is. But how realistic is it that he returns? Mm. Tough to say. We yeah. got to see what steps they take to create cap space before I think we can any of us can have a handle on what's realistic. I know. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to do that based on where Brandon Bean said they were at with the cap, not knowing what the cap would be. He said we're around two forty. We know the cap is around two twenty five this season, so they're gonna have to do some work to get under that cap. And and I thought it was really interesting when we heard from Greg Cosell a couple weeks ago and we asked him the question of what would you do, Tremaine Edmonds or Jordan Poyer? And he really didn't point to either or. He just said, look at this defense, look at how the Bills built their defense, and look at what they put a lot of stock into. And it's their secondary. And when you think about it from that lens – would they want to put that much into re-signing Tremaine Edmonds? Yes, he is amazing at what he does, and yes, he has physical traits that you aren't going to get anywhere else, but if your true identity and how you built your defense and how you believe in it starts with your secondary, then that kind of makes me think maybe they maybe they wouldn't try to re-sign Tremaine Edmonds, or not try, maybe the number is going to be too big for what he gets on on the market that they just can't make it work within what they value for the defense overall. Right. It's all valid. Um, And if you bypass the money you would have to commit to Edmonds, how can you spread that money around to address the other things like the safety position, whether it's Poyer or some other veteran out there on the free agent market um, among the other positions? Because you do have defensive linemen that are coming up free, Jordan Phillips among them. So, you know, you've got other concerns on that side of the ball. To what degree do you go to address those in free agency? And what do you leave yourself to address in the draft? are all questions that have to be answered in a step-by-step way by Brandon Bean and his front office. Dieter on the mailbag asks, I wish they would at least give Eric Bieniemy a glance. Talking about KC on Kyle Brandt's show, Josh said that they're the mantra of what you want to be and how you need to do it. Got to find ways. It's a copycat league. You got to find ways to be like them. Why not nab the OC? Well, I think it's a lot of money to do that. Well, it does. <laughs> Um, and I don't think it would be one thing if the offense fell flat on its face this year in year one under Ken Dorsey, but that flat out didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, they won 13 games. They lost three by a combined eight points despite playing a tougher schedule than they did in 2021 and having an infinite number of injuries that were far greater than anything they experienced last year the previous year as well. So you factor in all the adversity that this team faced and the fact that you had a first-year play caller and your offensive numbers were just as good, if not better, in some categories. To me, that's not a reason to throw everything out. Did they lay an egg in the playoff game? They absolutely did. But I think it had a lot more to do with the team's mental state in the wake of the DeMar Hamlin thing than it had with respect to coaching. And... Fans have said it themselves, Maddie. 
you know, people were getting mad that the passing game looked like a heavy lift too often. And people were saying, oh, Dorsey's got a scheme, more check down throws in there for easy completions. If you watch the tape, those, those throws are there to be made almost in every play concept that's called. You fall victim to the decision-making of mm -hmm. your quarterback when those opportunities are not taken. And when Ken Dorsey was asked about things like that, he would say, you know, sometimes we call things and Josh has the freedom to do whatever we call within that concept. If he wants to go far instead of taking that check down, he has the opportunity to do that at the end of the day because he's the one with the, the ball in his hands, making the play, seeing the field, not saying that he sees the field correctly on every single snap, um, but something to learn from, something to know. And, Ken Dorsey's going to be here next season, so if you wanted to bring Eric Bieniemy on, it would be in some other role, and Eric Bieniemy would not take that role, and it would be too expensive to hire somebody like that to be like an a, a senior assistant. And why would you do that? Yeah, I think they were pretty happy with Dorsey in his first year as a play caller, and I expect him to be even better next year. Quite frankly, Bills Mafia twenty three eighty nine asks, what would it take for the Bills to take a step back and eat some dead cap like we did when McDermott first came here? That was a different place in time in 2017. The team was moving on from players they did not feel fit the mold of the quote-unquote Bills DNA that they look for in players, and they were building the roster essentially from scratch. Now you are a Super Bowl contender. This is not the time to eat dead cap <laughs> and compromise your roster because of it. I think they're going to try every way possible to keep this roster at the forefront of contender status for the ultimate prize, and they'll try to remain as fiscally responsible as possible because Brandon Bean said himself, in three years, I don't want to be $100 mm -hmm. million over the cap. So I think he'll try to remain as cap strong as possible but at the same time, keep this team as competitive as possible. And there may have to be some tough decisions made with, within that, like they did when McDermott and, and Brandon Bean first got here. Um, not let necessarily letting guys go, but maybe it's not being able to afford Jordan Poyer or Tremaine Edmonds and some other players that you would like to keep on the roster, but you just can't because you don't want to be in a bad situation three yeah. years down the road. We have to take a break here, but some final thoughts from the mailbag that we'll be happy to answer when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you as we're just about ready to close out the week. One more or two more questions from the Friday mailbag. Rachel asks, who's responsible for us not using more efficient quick passes? Is that Dorsey calling too many deep plays, or is it Josh being too determined to always hit on a big play? Seems like we got away from the efficient quick passing game we had to start the year. You're completely on the money there, Rachel. I would argue, as we were saying in the last segment, it's probably more of the latter that's not totally on Josh, but Dorsey always schemed underneath easier throws for Josh, and Josh, more often than not this year, I think tried to get it all in one play. Um, is that because he believes in himself maybe too much sometimes to hit on a low percentage play downfield, or is it because maybe he doesn't trust 
some of the underneath guys the way he trusted Cole Beasley. Yeah, I I think this is only going to get better in the future with the relationship that Dorsey and Josh are going to be able to build in that offensive coordinator quarterback type role that the two have and share together. We know he was his quarterback's coach, but this is a new role that he's in. Um, I feel like everything that we saw that we put question marks on this season is only going to get better this next season for these two. So maybe it won't be as much next year, hopefully. I think efficiency is a proven model. If you look at what the Chiefs did this past year, they lose Tyreek Hill, they rebuild the receiving core, and what is their M.O. on offense? You look at Patrick Mahomes' yards per attempt, it came way down this year, but his completion percentage went up. They stayed on the field longer, and they scored more points and led the league in scoring. If you have a quarterback that you think is consistent enough and efficient enough Going with the efficiency model is a way to win in this league. Cincinnati did the same thing. Joe Burrow turned into the next iteration of Tom Brady because he, got he went the ball with up sh- so yeah, fast. less than two and a half seconds. So even if you have a substandard offensive line, you can still make plays, stay on the field, and move the sticks. As Steve and I talk about all the time, the NFL is about first downs, not touchdowns. And the teams with those efficient offenses went a long way in the playoffs, Bengals and Chiefs among them. And he said multiple times, I've just got to take what the defense gives me, and we saw him go away from that a little bit this season. Quickly from Bills News, would the Buffalo Bills avoid trading players such as Stephon Diggs or Trey White due to their dead cap hits? At what amount of dead cap is acceptable to trade a player? Well, it depends on what your cap situation is. What kind of cap hit can you incur? The, the Eagles incurred a $37 million <laughs> cap hit to throw Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts. And then the Colts did it the next year. Oh. It's what you can afford. That's what it's about. Maddie, thanks for helping us out these last two days. Oh, yeah. Steve and I back on Monday. We'll see you at 1 p.m. Have a great weekend.